welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to change it up a little bit today. And uh, uh, we're not. We're going to be in the parallel passage to Luke chapter twenty, where we've been. Uh, but as you find your place there, uh, I've titled this message "David's Lord, Our Righteousness." And uh, as we look at Psalm one ten during this during this message, truly Israel was expecting somebody special. They didn't know how special. And, and as we think about uh, Christ and building His church and the, the two millennia that have passed in the meantime and what the church has struggled through, uh, battled through as far as persecution and, uh, and uh, starvation and strife and trouble. Uh, we can get our hope and our blessing ultimately comes through this Redeemer. This Messiah who was promised from the ages of old all, all the way through the history of Israel that was manifest in the flesh as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And, and this is the question that, that will be answered today uh, as uh, Jesus confronts uh, one final time these Pharisees. I'm going to read to you just beginning uh, one short verse from the prophet Jeremiah, two short verses actually, Jeremiah 23 verses 5 and 6, as the prophet Jeremiah declared this to Israel. He said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name, by which he will be called Yahweh, our righteousness. Uh, The Lord, our righteousness. A stunning passage predicting the arrival of the Messiah, who will be called uh, Yahweh, the proper name of of God and he is our righteousness. You know, Jeremiah really enhances our scripture reading earlier from Psalm 110 and the question must be answered, who is this? Who is this human descendant, this righteous branch of David uh, who is both as we saw from Psalm 110, Adonai, Lord God, and uh, from Jeremiah, Yahweh, the Lord Himself. You know, during this pinnacle confrontation uh, on this day with the Pharisees, this really is the zenith of Jesus' uh, battle with the religious elite of Israel. Uh, he gets down to the brass tacks today. No, no way around this. Uh, he, he will ask, what does the Old Testament say about the Messiah. In reality, what does the Old Testament say about me? Is where Christ is, uh, is today. He asked his disciples this very same question some time back. Uh, he asked them, 
who do you say that I am, right? And, and famously, the Apostle Peter stood up and replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, now, now we know Peter and the other disciples didn't have a full understanding of Christ and the work that he would do dying on the cross for sins at that time. Uh, for when he announced that he was going to be handed over to the, uh, the sinful men and, and be crucified and die, you know, Peter stepped in again and said, by no means, Lord, it was, this will never happen to you. So they didn't have a full understanding at this time what this Messiah, what this Son of God would do, but, but they had had uh, the veil be, uh, begin to be lifted from their eyes and from their heart. Part of this might be because at the baptism of John, there was a voice heard from heaven. A couple of Jesus' disciples were there at that time, we know. Even before Jesus had called them, they were disciples of John the Baptist. And there, when Jesus was baptized, there was a voice from heaven that was heard that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. The matter of whether God's Son would willingly set aside his, uh, his divine prerogatives, his divine privileges, really to empty himself to become a man while on earth. That was tested from the very beginning. Uh, would, this, would this Messiah empty himself in becoming a man? For, for Satan tempted him from the beginning. If you are the Son of God, now, Satan knew he was, but, but if you are, he's tempting him. Uh, tell these stones to turn to become bread at, at a point when Jesus was famished. Uh, Jesus replied, no, no, you aren't tempting me uh, into serving you, Satan. The scriptural revelation, however, of the Christ being a divine human, just think of that for a second, a divine human. This scriptural revelation, uh, it has to be impressed upon us by the Holy Spirit. You know, God has to, if you know anything about electronics or circuits, God has to close that circuit breaker in order for the lights to come on up here. Uh, Jesus told Peter, Blessed are you, Peter, you know, Simon, son of Barjona, or son of Jonah, Blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven revealed it to you. So, so Christ's deity, it was revealed to Peter by the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, by contrast to that, there was Nicodemus, if you remember Nicodemus. He was in, uh, revealed first to us in John chapter 3. He came, uh, he was a Pharisee, he came to Jesus secretly by night. And uh, in John 3, Nicodemus said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you've come from, from God as a teacher, uh, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Unless God is with him. Meaning, we know that God's behind you some way. This Nicodemus is telling Jesus the, 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 the circuit isn't closed yet for Nicodemus, but, the, but there's a, a revealing that's coming. That's the reason he came to speak to Jesus by darkness of night, secretly, so that he wouldn't be revealed until he knew more, exposed himself. And Jesus replied to him, he said, you know, you, you must be born again. You have to be born again. Nicodemus, who was a, a religious 
Pharisee. I mean, he was well-schooled in, in the Old Testament law. He, he's completely confounded by this, confused. Uh, and that is because, Jesus said, unless one is born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must have a spiritual reverse, uh, rebirth. Natural birth that we all go through, the natural birth benefits nothing as far as eternity goes. Uh, it, it takes a sovereign act of God to experience the spiritual rebirth. Therefore, Nicodemus replied, you know, how can these things be? Can a, can a man enter his mother's womb a second time? How can I be born again? And Jesus answered and said to him, are, are you a teacher of Israel? Actually, he says, are you the teacher of Israel? And you do not understand these things. The circuit wasn't closed. The Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, moves like a wind. It, it blows where it wishes. And, and why had it not yet blown toward Nicodemus? You know, th- that's God's uh, department there. It's His domain of grace, His sovereign grace. But our story picks up in Luke chapter 20 and Matthew chapter 22 during the Passion Week. Again, we are still on Wednesday. Christ will be crucified in only two more days. And it appears that 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 circuit will be closed for Nicodemus in just a couple more days. You know, that, that wind of the Spirit is going to blow his way. Because after Christ's crucifixion, after his death, it, it is Nicodemus who joins a man named Joseph of Arimathea in retrieving Jesus' body from the cross. This is Nicodemus come Friday. And John 19 39 tells us that Nicodemus came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, uh, about a hundred pounds weight. About a hundred pounds weight. Folks, that, that was a mixture of fragrant spices and resins and aloes that Nicodemus had brought to prepare Jesus' body for burial. It's a very reverent reaction of Nicodemus. And it was a massive quantity of these resins that Nicodemus brought to him. And, and that is a, that's a behavior of a heart that's been turned on to God, that, that understands now what the Old Testament had always taught about the divinity of this Christ, the majesty of Jesus Christ. Um, what, what I'd like you to recognize, the reason I went this direction, is just what I'd like you to recognize before I read Matthew chapter 22 to you, is that the, the Old Testament did not conceal the divinity of the Messiah. It didn't, it didn't hide that this Christ would be the Son of God. It, it says it quite straight out and clear, actually. Uh, the Son of David this descendant of David, the righteous branch, the Christ, is identified by the prophets as both Adonai, the Lord God, and as Yahweh, our righteousness. That's what the prophets had said about him. And as we turn to Matthew chapter 22, you know, I I question on Wednesday now if Nicodemus is with this group of Pharisees. If he's with them, he probably is. It's, It's 
It's um, the week of the Passover. Nicodemus is there uh, in Jerusalem surely to celebrate Passover, probably with these Pharisees on this day. I wonder if this is the moment. Right during the, the reading of this, or, or Jesus' reciting of Psalm 110, if this is the moment that the Lord opened old Nick's heart to, to recognize that, he, that Jesus was truly the, the Christ and understand and believe that He is the Son of the living God. Think about that as I read this. I'm going to begin... Matthew chapter 22, reading back at verse 34, this is immediately before the Pharisees, or as the Pharisees had gotten word that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, another religious sect, Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, and I'm just going to remain in Matthew chapter 22 today because his account contains just a little more material, just a little more insight than that which is recorded by Luke. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. They got in a huddle. One of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law or hinge the whole law and the prophets. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart. A Pharisee recited this to Jesus and and Jesus responded to him saying, You are not far from the kingdom of God. (laughs) You've spoken well. Uh, Love the Lord with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what the law required. Whenever we get to one of these passages, there's different places in Scripture that, where, where this is recited. It's important to remember that keeping the law, loving God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind with all your strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, that's not how we get to heaven. Alright? We, we never love our neighbor as ourselves. We don't we aren't concerned first about our neighbor's stimulus check coming in the mail. What are we concerned about first? Checking our own account to see if our stimulus stimulus check is in the mail. Uh, we don't love God with all of our heart. That's not the way you get to heaven because we love uh, we love many things apart from God. We love many things which we possess, many things that enter into Uh, uh, our mind and into our heart that distract us from the Lord God. So though loving the Lord with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself is right, it is what the law required, none of us have ever fulfilled that. None of us have ever been that, that perfect. It would take someone perfect to live like that. It would take someone sinless to live their life in that manner. We're going to read about him. And our study is going to pick up. I'm going to continue in Matthew chapter 22. It's going to pick up in verse 41. It says, Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to Jesus, he, He's the son of David. 
you know, rather than the Son of God, they, they gravitated towards the Messiah as being this descendant of David. They believed the Messiah to be merely a human descendant of David. And Jesus was David's human descendant. That is accurate. Jesus' mother Mary, his adoptive father Joseph, were, were both of royal lineage, both of the house of David. But next Jesus asked them this. This is in response now. Jesus' response to their declaration that this Christ is only be, to be regarded as King David's human descendant. Jesus asked this. Then how does David, in the Spirit, call him Lord? Saying, the Lord Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. And then this in verse 45. If David then calls him Lord, how is he, the Christ, his son? No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask Jesus another question. That's how profound this was. To summarize, just to summarize some hard language, how does David call his distant descendant Lord if Christ is merely a human descendant, that's all he is, as the Pharisees had professed, if this Christ is merely a human descendant, why does David refer to him as Adonai, the Lord God, who sits at the right hand of Yahweh? How does that work? The same Lord, by the way, who is described as a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. You know, the Lord God, Adonai who judges nations, why does David call him Lord? What is so unique about this Christ, is what, is what Jesus is asking. You know, let's not even include the fact that the great prophet Jeremiah himself had identified this same righteous branch of David as, as Yahweh. No, wait, let's go ahead and include that, all right? Because Jeremiah says, in, in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the, his name by which he will be called, Yahweh our righteousness. That is the name of this righteous branch. You know, in, in a sense, Jesus rebukes these Pharisees the same way that he had to uh, Nicodemus. Y'all are teachers of Israel, and you still don't understand these things. And as Jesus said to Nicodemus, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus informed uh, Nicodemus way back then that, that he has descended the Son of Man from heaven. Uh, that, that's code speak for I came from heaven. Telling him straight out. I was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, his mother Mary, whom the Pharisees had suggested was a fornicator. That was their view of her. Uh, yeah, she's not. 
For Jesus told these Pharisees who took a swipe at his mom, this is back in John chapter 8, 42, uh, when they took a swipe at his mom, Jesus replied this way, If God were your father, you would love me. For I pre- Listen to this. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so uh, must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. You know, the, the pieces are starting to fall into place for old St. Nick, I think. Old Nicodemus is starting to figure this out. Yahweh, God himself, has come in the flesh as Jesus Christ our righteousness. That, that, that is what has occurred. And Jesus also told the Pharisees on that same occasion that they insulted his mother Mary, Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desire, desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature... For he is a liar and the fathers of lies. But because I speak the truth, Christ says, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Whoa! Who can say that? Who can say that? Jesus continues, if I speak truth, why do you not believe me? Who, he who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. That's the reason they don't understand. They're not of God. Why did Christ have to be born of a virgin? Because no mere human descendant of David could have lived a sinless life. No mere human descendant could have achieved what Christ achieved. Loving his neighbor as himself. Loving the Lord God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Who does that? Who can do that? Nobody I know can do that. Uh, Only God himself can do that. Verified by the fact that the Pharisees could not pin a single sin upon Jesus. Except one. They crucified him because he claimed he was the Son of God. That's what he claimed to be. And they said, blasphemy! And, and as they, as they um, called for his crucifixion, handed him over to Pontius Pilate. That was the claim that they could not stand, was that Jesus was the Son of God. You tell me, you know, how can a man have no sin? How can he be perfectly righteous? You know, that, that answer is also uh, given in Psalm 110, as David declared again in the Spirit, The Lord Yahweh has sworn and will not change His mind. You, meaning the Christ, are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Quick, quick history lesson here. Melchizedek, he was a mysterious king from the Old Testament. Both a king and a priest. You find that in Genesis chapter 14 who did not have a recorded beginning or end. You know, in, in contrast to that, the temple priesthood, uh, the, the Aaronic priesthood, the sons of Aaron, the Levites, 
They had a beginning at Mount Sinai. That priesthood began with the law. It, uh, it uh, ended when Christ ascended on high, permanently to be dismantled when the, when the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. But the, the Levitical priesthood, that had given parameters. Those were set parameters, uh, uh, a defined beginning and end. This Melchizedek guy that David prophesies about, he had no beginning nor any end. You know, he, he was a type of Christ. He was both a priest and a king present in the Old Testament. He, he did both. You know, in fact, I personally, you don't have to agree with this, but I personally believe that Melchizedek was an Old Testament appearance of Christ. They refer to that as a Christophany. You know, why do I go that direction? Well, here's one reason. Hebrews 7 verse 3 says this about him. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, speaking of this Old Testament Melchizedek, but made like the Son of God, Melchizedek remains a priest perpetually. You know, Melchizedek had a perpetual priesthood. No beginning, no end. That, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And since Abraham, as you see in Genesis chapter 14, as he paid, as Abraham paid Melchizedek a tribute, a tenth of the spoils of war, Scripture should have tipped off Israel's leaders. Should have tipped them off uh, that this Melchizedekian priest, who David references in this messianic psalm, Psalm 110, was far greater than, than even their father Abraham. Think, think about that. For the nation of Israel, for the Jews, who was greater than father Abraham in their theology? Only one. Only one in their mind. It was God himself was the only one who could possibly be greater than Abraham. So when David says in the Spirit, and, and in, the, in the Spirit simply means that David was prophesying or speaking on behalf of God. The Holy Spirit was superintending the words that Jesus, uh, excuse me, David spoke in this psalm. When David declared that his descendant, that this son whom he called Lord, uh, you are Adonai, a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You know, you tell me, who else could this descendant be? Uh, a Melchizedekian priest recognized as greater than Abra uh, Abraham called Adonai. You know, I'll, I'll give you three chances. The first two don't count. Th there is nobody else this priest in, in Psalm 110 could be. And, and, and gathering all the evidence together, you know, Scripture just leaves one, one option on the table. This physical human descendant of David is God in the flesh. It's God in the flesh. You know, so don't, don't try to argue that the Old Testament does not give any evidence or doesn't give a picture of the incarnation of Christ, uh, the, the, does, that, he does, that it doesn't give any evidence that God will become man. There is evidence there. Um, you alone are priest forever according to the, the order of Melchizedek. Uh, the, the incarnation 
is clearly taught in the Old Testament. And, and, and by the way, do you know what the name Melchizedek means? The, the proper name Melchizedek itself. In the Hebrew, it means king of righteousness. That's what his name means. Jeremiah referred to him as Yahweh, our righteousness. Uh, Jesus Christ is David's Lord, our righteousness. He's Yahweh, our righteousness. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was born uh, of a virgin, both fully God and fully man. You know, this is a non-negotiable of the Christian faith. That God was born into humanity. Uh, Jesus' mother was not a fornicator, as they charged. Which, by the way, is the only conclusion you could come to if, if Jesus wasn't truly a God's Son uh, conceived in the whole, by the Holy Spirit in the womb. That's the only other thing you can conclude of Mary is that she was a fornicator. And that's not how Scripture represents her. Colossians 2 verse 9 declares, In Him, meaning Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He was truly man in the flesh. He was truly God, our righteousness. He's the God-man. Hebrews 4.14 concludes, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near in confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need of help. You come to the point, the brokenness in your life, where you've got to have the mercy of God, where sin has overtaken your life, where you feel you have no control any longer. Truth is, you don't. You don't. Apart from God's mercy and grace, there's only destruction. There's only destruction. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. He died on a cross for our sins that we might be reconciled to God. And He lived the perfect sinless life that you and I haven't. You and I haven't. And He, he is offering Himself here in just a couple more days to bear the sins of the world. You know, having completed this, this perfect work of obedience in, in every way, having fulfilled every form of righteousness in the flesh, He offers to take the punishment for our sins on the cross, die in your place. So, you know, put yourself in the shoes of Nicodemus. Just for a moment. Put yourself in his shoes. When Jesus asked this question, if David then calls him Lord, how is the Messiah his son? You know, Jesus isn't saying that he isn't David's physical descendant. He, he surely is. In fact, the Pharisees never debate that. They never try to discount the fact that Jesus Christ was a physical descendant of David. They, they, they could know with a quick trick, quick trip to the genealogical records in the temple. They could go there quickly and find out exactly whose son he was. They probably did. He was of the righteous line of David. He was, in fact, the rightful heir to David's throne. But what Jesus is asking 
is since King David calls him Lord Adonai, in what sense is he his son? You know, the, the only possible response to that is the only answer is that this Christ is the Son of God who came in the flesh as a descendant of David, born to be the Son of Man. You know, it, it's just marvelous how the Hebrew Scriptures point us to the divinity of the Messiah. Um, problem is, you have to have the Spirit of God to receive it. You must be born again to receive Jesus Christ as both God and Savior. You know, you know at first, Nicodemus, he couldn't figure it out. He, he couldn't understand it, uh, that which Jesus was telling him when they first met. You know, Jesus says, you must be, for, uh, must be born again. And Nicodemus replied, well, how can these things be? How is it even possible to be born again? Can a man enter his mother's womb again when he is old? Can't enter that again, can he? And, you know, if you're a Nicodemus out there, if you've been trying to figure this out for a while, you don't have to enter your mother's womb again to be born again. Jesus said, Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Do you get it? Are you putting the pieces together? Uh, This rebirth uh, that Jesus offers, it's not a physical rebirth. It's an entirely spiritual rebirth. It happens when the Holy Spirit opens your mind to recognize that Jesus is the Christ that the Old Testament predicted. uh, And he who died on the cross for sins is is both fully man and fully God. Both. Um, this is how David refers to his son as Lord. It's the reason why Jeremiah predicted that the Messiah would come and be named Yahweh, our righteousness. I believe it's, it's all coming together for Nicodemus at this point. The wind of, of the Spirit has blown his way. He, he didn't have it, but in a couple more days, Christ is lifted high up on a cross, and Nicodemus proves that he does at that point. He probably remembers what Jesus told him on that first night, the very first night they were together when they secretly met. You'll find this in John 3, verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God have to recognize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The Pharisees will not accept this. Nicodemus is an exception. Does this, this transformation in Nicodemus, in his understanding, does it describe you? Are there things that you're trying to put together and understand 
the Old Testament and the New, who is this person that is promised that they say rose from the dead? Uh, perhaps you could not understand before, but now you can. That's a work of the Spirit. That's a work of the Holy Spirit in the heart and in the mind, assuring you that now you do. Uh, the evidence that you have is a work of God in your life. There's uh, just a couple things I want to note as we close out uh, this passage. In verse 46, the Pharisees are now silenced. It says that uh, no one was able to answer Jesus a word, nor, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. These are the religious elite of Israel. They didn't dare ask any more questions. You know, none, none of the Pharisees could deny that David was referring to the Christ as God in Psalm 110. Uh, they don't even attempt to dispute that. You know, there are some liberal scholars today that uh, will say, well, this Lord that David is referring to must just mean he's, he's like a Lord in a human royalty sense, not God. And they'll discount that David was actually calling him God. If that were possible to make that argument, the Pharisees would have made it right here. But they don't. They realize uh, they don't even have a rebuttal. This, this Adonai, this Lord God, could only refer to the God of Israel, and the Pharisees knew it. And it's for that reason that, that they're completely silenced. They, they don't have anything to come back and say because they had known that was a messianic psalm from the very beginning. One other thing I'd like you to note is that when David is in the Spirit, and he's prophesy, prophesying, uh, of a human descendant called Adonai who'd sit at God's right hand and who would rule over the nations. Uh, the one whom God says actually in, in Psalm 2 is, this is my, uh, you are my son today, I've begotten you. you know, there are numerous reflections of the Trinity in the Old Testament. So, some will deny that there are. Uh, they'll argue that you can't find the Trinity in the Old Testament. Before you close, just a couple things. In reality, you go to the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is referred to as God's Spirit. He's referred to as the Spirit of Yahweh. He's referred to as the Spirit of Elohim, another term for God. And we see the work of God's divine Spirit referred to many, many times in the Old Testament. Also, the Son of David also called the Son of Man. There, there are numerous appearances of God in the Old Testament. There was the angel of the Lord who physically appeared to Abraham. Uh, there was the king and the priest Melchizedek also appeared in the flesh. Jacob wrestled. If you remember, Jacob wrestled with a human manifestation of God. That's in Genesis 32. There was a mysterious appearance of one who is like the Son of Man, who saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fiery furnace. Uh, it goes on and on and on. Then we find David's multiple references of the coming Messiah being the Son of God in the flesh. Uh, as Adonai, as Jeremiah said, Yahweh our righteousness we can't establish, establish unequivocally that all of these manifestations of God in the Old Testament in the form of a man was a Christophacy, 
Christophany or an appearance of Christ. Um, but we can establish this. this. This is important. God coming as a man, being manifest as a man, it was a common feature in the Hebrew Scriptures. It was not a thing that was never spoken of. And it is re- repeatedly established that David's physical descendant would be born as God in the flesh. A manifestation of God in the flesh was not something that they should have been unfamiliar with. So we have shadows of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, throughout the Old Testament. The Father is referred to as God. The Holy Spirit is referred to as God. The Son, who is Messiah, is referred to of God uh, as God. Uh, the notion of a Holy Trinity, that God is three in one, is not something entirely new that early first century Christians invented. It's, it's not so. It's not so. You find evidence of the Trinity as early as the first verses of Genesis. I'm asked sometimes if understanding the Trinity, Trinity is a word that we use to describe Father as being three persons, one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The word Trinity itself is not found in Scripture. It is a word that we use to describe God, that He is three in one. I'm asked if that's essential in order to be a Christian. Is it essential to understand the Trinity in order to become a Christian and be saved for salvation? Because there are many, many movements out there that deny that God is three in one. Uh, they, they say that uh, it's only Christ or Jesus only, or that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament, all kinds of different things. I will say this, because it is a conundrum of understanding the, the Trinity of God being three in one. But I, I would propose this, that if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, if you have believed wholly on Him for salvation, you already know that He is the Son of God. You have to know that, that He has a Father. And in your heart to understand this, in order to comprehend and have this circuit breaker closed, in order to understand this, you must be born again by the Holy Spirit. So no matter what way you cut it or how you want to define it, a person who has trusted in Christ is by default Trinitarian. You believe that there is a Father God whose Son came and was born of a virgin and, and manifest in the flesh, that He was God in the flesh, and it is a work of the Holy Spirit that, that helps you to understand that. So by default, whether we comprehend everything, because it is marvelous to, to even consider, and we'll never plumb the depths of Scripture, regardless of whether you feel you understand anything, we are Trinitarian when we are born again, uh, just by supernatural um, divine revelation. Anyhow, uh, I hope that you have trusted in Christ as your Savior. Pastor Weiler is going to come up and have a song and uh, or a verse, and uh, we're going to pray for you right now. Father, as we consider the incarnation and uh, the, the majestic nature of it, that, that you would become a man and uh, be willing to empty yourself in such a way to, to set aside your divine privileges so that you could come here and show us how to live. That you, that you could come and live sinless 
a righteous life, a righteous branch and descendant of David, uh, that you could come here in itself, Lord, is warming to the soul, that you would come and dwell with men. And uh, Lord, uh, we do pray that uh, for those listening, for, for us ourselves, though we might not understand all the intricacies, that we might not even think that we're smart enough, Lord, uh, your spirit uh, closes that circuit breaker and we accept it by faith that, that you sent your son, that he came and died on a cross, he rose again uh, on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And, and Lord, we trust that he has redeemed us from our sin, that, that by the shedding of his blood, he has satisfied uh, your need to punish sin. And Father, as we, as we pray for those who, who might not have understood at first, like Nicodemus, that, that now they, they would realize that, that this Christ who came truly is your beloved Son. Father, uh, bless your church. Bless those whom you've redeemed, uh, those whom you've loved from the foundation of the world. We ask that... Uh, You give us particular strength right now to endure um, many senses of loss. And Father, as we look forward to your return, uh, we also look forward to being reunited together uh, once again uh, with you in heaven. It's in Christ's name that we pray.